want us to get into this series, <clears throat> and over the past couple of weeks you've heard from different people, and this series is going to be kind of a, our vision, a value statement. And uh, I, I actually was blessed with it from somewhere else, and I thought, man, I'm just going to turn that right into us, because it sounds like us. All right? And so, first I want to give you the scripture the Lord gave me several years ago when he told me, if you don't love a city, you can't win a city. That's why I pray over Cambridge, Zach, the way I do every Sunday. Because if we don't love this city, and the people of this city, we'll never be able to win this city. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, out of the Amplified, he says this. He said, seek and inquire... For require and request the peace and welfare of the city which I have caused you to be carried away captive. And the Lord said to me when I first come across this scripture, Ted, he said, I know sometimes you feel like you're trapped in a place. You're trapped in a city. And that's, and that's why I'm stuck in this town where there's nothing happening and there's nothing going on. Well, maybe we're just not praying about it right. Amen. Well, I don't want to live in a metropolis. I'm going to tell you something about that here in a few minutes. Um, he said, inquire the peace and welfare of the city in which I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. Why? For in the welfare of the city in which you live, you will have welfare. Amen. Now imagine that our welfare is directly tied into the welfare of the city we live in. The city we're called to minister in. Well, I'll tell you what, if you really understood that and we really believed that, Lana, then we would pray for this city to experience great growth. Why? Because when it grows, we grow. When it grows, I grow. And he told the children of Israel, he said, pray for the city because in its welfare, you will find welfare. And then he took me to Nehemiah chapter 4. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, he said, And so we built the wall, and all of it <coughs> was joined together up to half of its height. For the people had a heart and a mind to work. You know one thing they told us in, 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 in uh, Bible college? How do you spell ministry? W-O-R-K. And that doesn't mean striving, and that doesn't mean laboring. That doesn't mean, oh, let me make God happy, and let me please God, and, and do all this work, and somehow if I do all this work, then God is going to be completely pleased with me. But it's doing the work of Jesus. It's doing what Jesus would do. What did Jesus do? He went about healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. He went about blessing he went about causing money to come out of fish's mouths. He ended up going out and raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out demons. That's what our work is. It's not hard. It's just what we're called to do. But the thing is, somebody's got to do it. Well, who's going to do it? It's going to be Jesus and we, the body of Christ. And so, so many times our, our focus becomes just centered <clears throat> on Jesus and me. It's just me. Folks, Harvest Christian Fellowship cannot exist with just me. 
It, it just can't. It can't. And, and, and any pastor who believes that his church will exist just because of him, that's, that's not a healthy church. Matter of fact, that's a man working himself toward a heart attack. <laughs> I, let's just be honest. But I want you to notice a few things because I want to focus on our city. And this is what the whole thing is. The vision of harvest for our city. Go to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, Pentecostals get excited over that. When the Spirit comes on you, you're going to get power and we can preach that. And that's true. That dunamis power, that dynamo power, that power that comes from the same way where we get the word dynamite. What we skip is the purpose of that power. We get all excited about the power, but we skip the purpose of the power. The purpose of the power is to do what? Is to witness Jesus Christ first at home. He said, first, get it at home. Get it in your own town. He said, first, in Jerusalem. So that's where your neighbors are. That's where your friends are. That's where your family is. That's the people that lives across the street. That's the one that you just saw coming out from under the bridge with a needle still hanging out of their arm. That's the prostitute still standing, waiting on somebody else. First, you, you receive power, not so you can get a good goose bump. Not so you can shine to all day long. It's to be the witness of Jesus to the world. And it starts at home. And then he said, go to Judea, 19 miles away. He said, once you, once you get your house, once you get your home filled with it, then take it just a little bit further out. See, what, what the church's problem is, is we try to eat an elephant in one bite. <laughs> let's take the world, let's take the world, let's take the world. How about let's just take Cambridge? <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like trying to believe God for a Cadillac when you got Volkswagen faith. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> He said, first take it, get your, get your town, then move out a little bit. He said, then Samaria, which is about 35 miles outside of Jerusalem. You know what he's doing? He's inching them out. He said, start at home with the people you know, then go out a little farther, and then go out a little farther, and then take it to the world. See, we've tried to accomplish the world when we have not yet, not yet, not yet accomplished taking our own town. And I'm here to tell you, if we're going to be anything in this town, then we're going to have to love this town enough to say, I love the world and I want the world to get it. But somebody's got to start here. <laughs> Is this okay? This, this hurts our missionary mindset. I've done it. You've done it. You've done it. I lived out of the country for two years. How many mission trips you been on, Jody? She's like, oh. Zach, 
Several. And there's nothing wrong with that. But man, when are we going to get a heart for our town? When are we going to get a heart for our city? Come on. There's nothing wrong with winning the world, taking it to the world. But our number one focus should be exactly what their number one focus was, what Jesus told them in Acts. Jerusalem. In your town, edge out a little bit. Take the next town, edge out a little bit. Take the next town. Why? Because as we're continuing to win these towns, then you've got people who will buy into the vision. And we got more people to take the next town. <laughs> Again, this does something. So, what we're going to look at today is going to be something a little different. Uh, and it's got to be something that is vital to Harvest Christian Fellowship. And if you're visiting, you're, you're catching our hearts. Um, we're going to have to do this together. It can't be me doing it. How many of you know, well, I, you believe for that, but I just don't believe for that. How many of you know that's called division? <laughs> Are you all okay? Division, two visions. So what we're doing is setting this is where we're going. Uh, how many of you know the word says that a house divided against itself can't stand? <laughs> so I'm inviting you to come on board because I know how the governing board thinks. I know how other people in here think. I know that's why I wanted you to hear from the department heads over the last couple of weeks. I know how they think. So here, and it's written on the front of your bulletin, but you're going to see it on the screen. This is a statement that has to become real to Harvest Christian Fellowship. Reese, are you there? We are. Well, I'm not. This is by faith. We are faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. We will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Go ahead, I see pictures. Go ahead and get you a picture of it. I'll stay out of the way. This is going to be who we are. In 2020, this is going to be one of our focuses. We are going to be faith-filled. Big think. No more thinking like the little tiny church on the hill. No more thinking we can't do something that we feel God has called us to do. And you individually, no more thinking that you are not capable because you are going to be faith-filled. Field, big thinking, bet the farm risk takers, we will not insult God. Ha. Ha. With small thinking or safe living, if we are going to be uh, fulfill what God has called us to fulfill, then we should expect a challenge that is too big for us. You all know in this church, we're believing for a 24-foot box truck right now. Amen. We're looking for it. We got men out searching for it. Well, can you afford it? Didn't ask if we could afford it. But it's what God has called us to do. And what we need is for the 70 of us to get together saying we believe that God can not only give us a used one, if he wants to, he'll give us a new one. We see, it's got to be a bigger vision. If it's not, it's not faith if it doesn't challenge you. Oh. 
If it doesn't challenge you, it's not faith. I had a man tell me one time, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. I said, okay. He said, when you, when you catch that, you'll quit worrying about it. If you believe it, it's God's will, then it's God's bill. Then you, everybody's heard this one. If God will lead you to it, he'll bring you through it. If God will lead you to it, he'll take you through it. So what are we going to do? Harvest, this is with us. You ready? We're going to believe for the impossible. We're going to believe for the miraculous. We're going to trust God to do exceedingly abundantly more than we have ever dreamed up in our puny little mind. We are going to believe God to touch our lives. We're going to believe him to touch our church. And we're going to believe him to touch our town. We're going to believe that his glory will go through generation after generation after generation. And as they come in, they too will be faith-filled. Big thinkers. Bet the farm risk takers. Oh, well, I just don't know about all this. Don't have division. We think somebody causing division is just somebody said, well, I just don't agree. And so I'm going to go over here and I'm going to talk to Jeff about how much I don't agree with what they're going on. That's division. But division is also when you come and say, I know what you're all believing for. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Well, you need to wipe the stuff out of your eyes. When I was little, my eyes would, y'all ready, I'm going to gross you out. My eyes would puss up in my sleep, and I would wake up, and I couldn't open my eyes because I had so much gunk in my eyes. And I remember my mom would have to take a wet washcloth and put it on my eyes to loosen all that up. Maybe it's time that we quit going around with all of our doubt-crust-filled eyes. Without all of our fear-filled, crusted eyes. And we say, God, just put that warm glory over my eyes right now. Just begin to pour it over my eyes. Because when you do, I will open my eyes to the reality of who you are, to the bright, sunshiny day of your glory, and we will know what you have called us to do. We are going to do because we are faith-filled. Big thinkers. Bet the farm risk takers. And we're not going to insult God with small thinking anymore. Well, folks, do you realize when Harvest House was offered to me, I said yes before I ever came back and talked to the governing board about it. And I told them and they said, yes, let's do it. Ron and Lana caught on to a vision. They went out and bought a truck so the church could use it. Lana said, I'm going to cash in some stuff. I believe in the vision of Harvest Christian Fellowship. And go back to working part-time. It's okay if I tell your business. I should have declared that with her, but you know. Why? Because when you get a hold of a vision that is bigger than you, you understand it's got to be God or it's going to fail. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to cover it in a few minutes. Failure is not always a bad thing. So what is the value of faith? We're talking about being people of faith. HCF, we are going to be people of faith. 
Well, I don't know about all that faith stuff. I tried faith once and it didn't work. No, faith tried you once and you didn't work. That's what Brother Hagin used to tell us. He said, faith tried you and you didn't work. Oh, that hurts sometimes, don't it? So Jesus goes back to his hometown. And I want to talk about the value of faith. Jesus goes back to his hometown. He's standing up. He's teaching in the synagogue. They can't believe. Who is this guy? He's got such wisdom. He's got such power. Oh, yeah, I remember him. This is Joe's kid. You know, the carpenter. Look, look around. His sisters are sitting right here with us. And when they became so familiar with him, it removed the awe they had of him. Sometimes we just get too familiar with things. Sometimes we're just too familiar with our own town. We know it's ins, we know it's outs, we know it's goods, we know it's bads, and, and so sometimes it just loses its glory. Oh. And so they begin to say, "What well, this guy puts his pants one long leg at a time like I do, or his sandals. And so they begin to lose their faith. There's a couple times in the Word of God where Jesus is completely amazed. And one of them is this time I'm telling you about. Go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Oh, mercy. Now look what happens when they became so familiar that he lost his glory. He said, Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. He says, and he could not do any miracles there except he lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. So when they began to get so familiar with him that he lost the glory in their eyes, he couldn't do anything. See, faith will amaze God. Verse 6, 5, 6, yeah. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. I wonder what God would look at Harvest Christian Fellowship and say right now. Matter of fact, let's get personal. What would God look at you right now? How would he be amazed? If I ask you to rate your faith level, and I'm not going to, I wonder where, he would, where we would land. Folks, I'm telling you, I want us to begin to believe for the impossible. We're believing for... We're believing, folks, we're not just believing for a truck. We're believing for a warehouse. That's just one thing. I'm believing for a whole new sanctuary. Well, why? Let's make this a fellowship hall because Harvest House has already gotten too big. Harvest House has already taken over the house. So we, it's time to make some changes. Oh, I just don't. See, you can't. Come on board. Let's say that we are going to be these big thinkers, these big dreamers. There was a Roman guy one time came to Jesus. He had been kind to the Jews, and the Jews went to Jesus and said, man, his, his servant's sick, and he has been so good to us. He built us a place to worship. Would you come and pray? Jesus said, fine, I'll go. And while he's on his way, he sends word out to Jesus, don't come. 
I'm not worthy for you to be in my house. I'm not worthy for you to be here. And, and so this is where we pick it up in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 8. For I myself, this is the man speaking, am a man under authority with soldiers with me. I tell this one to go and he goes. I tell this one to come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this and he does it. So he told Jesus, don't come into my house. Don't come. I'm not worthy for you to be here. I understand your authority. I understand who you are. He says, all you have to do is speak. This is in verse uh, 7. All you have to do is speak the word only and my servant will be healed. He said, listen, Jesus, I don't even need you to show up. We're waiting on visions of Jesus. And he's waiting on his body to act like his body. <laughs> do it, Jesus, do it. Did you like that? That had my southern on it there. Did you hear it? Do it, Jesus. Do it. And Jesus is going, what are you waiting on? You're the body. Come on. How many of you know my head, I cannot, wow, I cannot drive a nail with my head. I have to have my hands. Come on. We're waiting on our head to drive the nail and he's waiting on his hands to do the work. Because we really don't trust him. Now, now look at verse 9, Reese. And when Jesus heard what this man said, just say the word, I know your authority. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Lack of faith amazes God and this much faith amazes God. So what amazes God? Faith. good whether you like it or not. What amazes God is faith. What amazed them was their lack of faith. And then what turned around and amazed Jesus again was this man's faith. He said, and he was amazed at him. And he turned to the crowd following, said, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Faith amazes God. We're going to read this scripture in a few minutes, but I preached out of it Thursday. People always tell me, I just want to please God. I just want God to be pleased with my life. And so we do all these works to try to make God pleased with us. But Hebrews eleven six 6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. You really want to please God with all your life? Let's do everything in faith. Let's do everything believing that God is going to do far above than we could ever ask or think. We want God to be pleased. Step out and believe for something that is beyond your ability to do on your own. And he smiles at you and says, come on, let's do this thing together. So what's our goal again, Reese? To be faith-filled, big thinking Bet the farm risk takers and let us never insult God with what? Tiny little thinking. Or safe living. I'm going to say some things today. I'm almost there, but this is who we have to be. If we really want 
Harvest Christian Fellowship to be what we are called to be. You, you all realize I'm not talking about church growth here, right? We don't do Harvest House to try to drag people into church. Matter of fact, how, how many times do people usually come visit before we ever mention church to them? It depends. It's not something we say regularly. Well, why are you doing it? Because when we begin to love people, it opens a door to speak into their life. And when you can speak into their life, once they know, you really have their heart. And now what we're seeing is people asking us about the church. Asking us what's going on. Why? Because when they get here, we're going to tell them how much God loves them and how much they don't have to live in the life that they feel like they're stuck in. This is who we are. Big thinkers. Let's go to Mark chapter 11, verse 22. From the Passion Translation, King James Version says, Verily I say unto you, have faith in God. It's really not the, the way that verse was translated. This one's closer. Jesus replied, let the faith of God be in you. Do you realize that that word let means you have to allow this faith in you? Well, I, it's, it's my faith. No, it's not your faith. It's not my faith. Well, how do I know? Because Hebrew told me that Jesus started my faith. He ended my faith. I don't even carry my faith anymore. I carry the faith of God. See, we don't trust that faith. Oh, glory, I'm going to go on. Verse 23. Listen to the truth I speak to you. If someone says to this mountain, with great faith. Well, I just don't have great faith. Yes, you do. Romans says that it's given to every man the measure of faith. Not a measure... I have no more faith than Bobby has. We got the same amount. There a baby in here. Lily over here has got the exact same amount of muscles as I got. She's got the exact same amount of muscles as any bodybuilder you'll see. What's the difference? A bodybuilder worked his. Try this over here you might have to start working your muscle a little bit. You might have to start stretching your faith because nobody's got more faith than you've got right now. <laughs> nobody's got more faith than you. Work it. He said, <laughs> listen to the truth. If someone says to this mountain with great faith, now here's the key, having no doubt. I just don't believe having no doubt Mountain be lifted up and thrown into the midst of the sea and believes that what he says will happen, it will be done. Verse 24. This is the reason I urge you to boldly believe for whatever you ask for in prayer. Believe that you have received it, past tense, done deal, signed, sealed, delivered, it's yours. Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. As long as we keep looking into the future for God to do something, we're always going to be looking at the horizon. 
But when we know what God has called us to do, and we say, this is what it is, and I'm going to start calling some things in. I'm going to start being like God, who Romans says, he called those things that be not as though they were. He believed that he had already received them and they became his. And when Harvest Christian Fellowship picks this up, we will begin to see lives change. What would happen if we as a body would start thinking this way? What would be different in our church? What would be different in our community? What would be different in our city? What would be different in our state? What if we really believe these verses? I'm going to tell you what can change. Addictions will be broken. Cancer, hey, cancer will be healed. Children will be adopted and cared for. Poverty will be broken over a whole town. Marriages will be restored back to the way that God created them to be. Corporations will begin to move in. The problem is we have made faith about me and not we. We have so adulterated this kind of faith. Lord, this is Jimmy and I'll take all you can give me. <laughs> That's what faith has become to us. But when are we going to get past us? Jesus came because he loved the world. Folks, I'm telling you, it is time to dream such radical dreams that are too big for us unless God intervenes. And I'm inviting you to come with me because this year's got to be different. Would God be amazed at us with our great faith? Or would he say, you're dreaming too small? So why faith? I'll tell you, I, I hope this just spurns you on. This is going to be who we are. It might, Lana, it might be time to start seeing stuff like this posted all over the walls while you've been talking about it for a year. I don't want to see that. You've got to see it. The Word says write the vision down, make it plain so that those may see it can run with it. Amen. Put it on the walls. Hang it in the bathroom. Put it in the mirror. You've got to turn your head sideways to put your lipstick on. And all you're going to see. Now listen, over the next few weeks, we're going to cover a bunch of these. But we are going to be big, faith-filled, big thinkers. Bet the farm risk takers. And we are not going to insult God. <laughs> With small thinking. Or safe living. Hebrews chapter 6. Why faith? Hebrews chapter 11, Reese, I'm sorry, verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6. I read it, I quoted it earlier. But it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe that He both exists and that He cares enough to respond to those who seek Him. It's not enough just to know God exists. You've got to be convinced that God's going to respond when we go before him. That he cares enough. Folks, I'm going to tell you this. If it's within your ability, it's not faith. Come on. 
We're looking for something bigger than our ability. We're going to start. How many of you know faith can be? This kind of faith is scary. It's scary. What do you mean it's scary? The disciples were out on a boat. Waves come, storm comes, it's rocked upside down, they're, they're scared, and all of a sudden they see this thing they think is a ghost walking across the water. Now read your Bible, they thought he was a ghost, the Holy Ghost. And so when they saw him, then you got Peter, Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth. Hey, if that's really you, Jesus, because Jesus said, hey, guys, don't be afraid. It's just me. He said, all right, Jesus, if that's really you, let me come out there. See, the difference is Jesus hangs out in the arena of the impossible. He hangs out in the arena of the impossible. And when you finally get up the boldness to say, all right, I want to come, his answer will always be, Come on. He didn't, he, he, it's not faith to stay in that boat. Can you imagine? <clears throat> I bet his foot sunk up to his ankle. Why? Because God didn't tell him to put his toe in. He told him to come out. But that first time, anybody, ever, anybody remember Indiana Jones? He said, take that first step of faith. <laughs> See, this kind of faith is scary. See, fear of failure will always keep you in a boat. Yeah. All the other 11 stayed in the boat. Why? Because Jesus hangs out in the arena of the impossible and you are going to be called, we as a body are going to be called into the arena of the impossible where Jesus is waiting saying, I'm here, come over here to me. And when he sees you take that step of faith, Hebrews says that it pleases him. But the fear of failure will always keep you in a boat. And here's what happens is we look at Peter and we always, and this, this is what really bugs me, Ted, Dr. Ted. It bugs me that the church has chosen to focus on Peter's failures. Well, he got sidetracked. He looked off at the storm and see, you got to, we focus on the failure. And we want to take this message of great faith and turn it in to a message of just trust Jesus. Just come to Jesus, you know, rather than focus on the victory. I'll never forget when I first started catching on to this. The Lord says we're focusing on the wrong thing. We can't focus on failure, folks. Failure is always going to be a part of stepping out in faith. I don't like the sound of that. Peter probably didn't like the feeling of water going up his nose either. But he went there. Okay, so he failed. Okay, so you step up and try to do something and it doesn't work. 
when you step into the arena of the impossible, he is always there to grab your hand. You have to step into this arena for him to work with you. Oh, focus on his failures. Well, here's what I'd rather focus on. Peter's the only person we know in the Bible that walked on water twice. Walked on water twice. He got out there. He had to get back. See, his failure led to another victory. Okay, so he got sidetracked in his vision. So he got sidetracked. And the thing that he stepped out to do didn't work. But here's the awesome thing about living in the arena of the impossible. When I'm stepping out and I fall, he just says, come on, let's go. And you're going to walk on the water again. Because the way you got out there by faith is the way you're going to get back by faith. Thank you. You cannot play it safe and please God. Oh, Did you hear me? We cannot play it safe and please God. Faith is not safe. And failure sometimes come. Well, I tried it and it just didn't work. Okay. Doesn't mean that the next thing's not going to work. It doesn't mean that there's not a future. It just means that thing didn't work. Preach myself happy. Hebrews 11.1. 1. <laughs> Hebrews 11.1 1, uh, from the Passion Translation says, Now faith is. Now faith brings our hopes into reality. I might not have gave him this one. Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It's all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. So what is faith? Faith brings what we're hoping for into reality. The things that we're going to believe for this year, I hope scares the daylights out of you. And we say we're gonna bring it into reality. It's going to happen. Why? Because we're going to be a group of people who stands and calls things that aren't as though they are. We're going to step over into that arena of the impossible and say it's time to walk on water. Faith is always moving forward when we see no guarantee. Problem with a lot of us, we want a guarantee. Well, can you guarantee me this is going to work? And when we lay a vision out in front of the church, say, can you guarantee me? No, we have no guarantees. But we believe this is what God is calling us to. And we are going to step out in faith. And if we fall, he'll pick us up and he'll get us back to the starting point and give us another opportunity to do it all again. (laughs) I want to guarantee If it doesn't work, then I want to return. You all ready? Reese, I think this one's up on there. You can't have faith and control. 
You can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. (laughs) We can have faith or we can have control. Faith requires you to give all control to God. And harvest, that's where we're going. God, okay, God, tell me what steps three, four, and five look like. God's not going to show you steps three, four, and five if you're not willing to take step one and two. The only guarantee we have is that God will prove himself faithful. (laughs) Well, God would never ask me to do such a thing. Except there was this dude named Abram sitting on his front porch drinking coffee one morning. And God said, hey, I need you to get up. Well, what do you need me to do? He said, I'm going to take you to a land. Let's just go there. Genesis chapter 1, Reese. I think we're going around verse 21, I believe. Yeah, nope, verse 1. Genesis 12. Had that all wrong. One day the eternal one said, called out to Abram, Abram, get up and go. Ooh. Leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your father's house, and travel to a land where I will show you. Don't worry, I will guide you there. Now imagine that, You're sitting on the front porch drinking coffee, minding your own business, and God says, hey, you need to leave your house, you need to leave your papa, you need to leave your relatives, you need to get your family and go. Where are we going, God? I don't know. There's a fork in the road. I'll tell you right or left when you get there. Oof. He says, and I'll guide you there. I have plans to make a great people from your descendants. I am going to put a special blessing on you and cause your reputation to grow so that you will become a blessing and example to others. Others, people's blessings are waiting on your act of faith. Ooh. Other people's blessings are waiting on your act of faith. That's what he told Abram here. He said, hey, listen, man, the world's going to be blessed by you. But if you sit here on your porch with your coffee, there's all kinds of people not going to get blessed. Verse 3. And I will bless those that bless you and further you in your journey. And I will trip up those who try to trip you up along the way. And through your descendants. Now, this is a man that didn't have kids. This is an old man, 99 probably, when this starts. Old dude, had no kids. Well, through your descendants. See, God required all kinds of faith steps out of him. All of the families of the earth will find a blessing. Folks, for you to step into your destiny, you're going to have to leave your security. Abraham was cool. I got my house. It's paid for. My dad's in the back room. My wife's been with me all these years. I got my nephew hanging around. My brother didn't take care of him, so I will. (laughs) I'm secure here. 
If you're ever going to reach your destiny, you're going to have to get out of your security. Because you can't have control and faith at the same time. You can have faith. I need to know where I'm going. Imagine if Abram said, God, I need to know where I'm going first. I'll tell you this, you probably wouldn't sit here today. What God is calling you to do is going to only happen when you step into the arena of the impossible and begin to affect. So, harvest, we must be a church of faith. Radical, blow your mind, I can't believe you people... I, you know, I, I, I'm saddened how, how hardened the church world is to this. Just a few uh, months ago, how many of you remember when uh, Bethel made the news again for standing and believing for a child to be raised from the dead? It became this big thing. I can't believe it. Oh, what are they doing this for? Why are they doing it? Because they've had experiences of people being raised from the dead, and so they stepped out again. Well, it didn't work. Okay, do you think that should stop them from believing for people raising from the dead? To walk in your destiny, you're going to have to leave your security, and you cannot have faith and control at the same time. We're going to have to pick one. I say, Harvest, we pick faith. Greg Rochelle said this. He said, Never let me hear you say, the church is too big. The church is too big. Listen, if you think the church is too big, then your love for people is too small. Amen. If the church is too big, then your love for people is too small. We have to be people of great faith. It's called the Great Commission, not a small commission. Amen. This is who Harvest must become this year because I believe that we are going to see the greatest move of God in Cambridge, Ohio than we have ever seen, and I might as well start here, and then the other churches can pick up too. Everybody else wants in it. Hey, this is not just for us. This is for every church that wants it, but I can only speak to you today. This is us. This is who we're going to be. We are going to be faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm risk takers. We will no longer insult God by, uh, how is it, small thinking or safe living because our destiny cannot be found in our security. It's going to be found when we step out. Amen. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and what you are in our life. We glorify you in the beauty of your holiness. We thank you, Lord, that you are challenging us. You are going to stretch us. You are going to pull us farther than we have ever been pulled. I thank you, Father, that you have things that are beyond our means prepared for us. And all we have to do is get there. And we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 